Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Chillin' in the State House. I am Jason Alatid, one half of the team here, and I'm joined by John Hanna of the Associated Press. Hello, Jason. How's it going? Pretty are we good. are are you chillin' this morning? I, I see you have your uh, your Starbucks. Is that a it, Starbucks it, it's coffee? Seven brew. Uh, seven brew. Yeah, yes. I, I got a holiday drink from there. Uh, they texted me with a two dollar off reward. Oh so, my! Yes. Yeah. So I had to do it, uh, and I was feeling in the Christmas mood because my wife and I were putting up Christmas lights last night. We we figured, already well we figured well first off this weekend was. Very nice weather. Yeah, that's true. It was good weather to put up Christmas lights if you're so inclined. And the last, I mean, this is our third Christmas in our home. And the first two Christmases, we, uh, I mean, the the, the first one, we had only been in the house for a couple months. And we're not quite ready to get to Christmas light decorating. Uh, And by the second year, it just got cold really fast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and there was that, no Chiefs game on Sunday. And, sure, sure. So do you keep them up all? Well, we know there was no Chiefs game on Sunday because Travis Kelsey was in Argentina uh, to see Taylor, the Taylor Swift concert there. Yes, and that comes after. Don't cry for me, Argentina. And that comes after Travis Kelsey with it, was in Germany for the actual Chiefs game. And the governor was in Germany, too for a uh, trade mission that yes. happened to coincide with the Chiefs game. Just just by coincidence. Merest coincidence. Just just like a governor might happen to be, say, in San Antonio, Seattle, New Orleans, right when the Final Four is being played. Just a coincidence. Yeah, the, I think the governor was in the Final Four for the last uh, KU Basketball National Championship, but then she missed I think both bowl games last winter. Oh my! Because of uh, bad weather. Yeah, yeah. Well, the weather wasn't wasn't great, was it? But I mean, it looks like both teams will go bowling, and uh, this week it's KU versus K State. So, uh, well, I'm sure we'll have a little ribbing of each other. Yes. Yes. For, for those who don't know, John is a... I'm a KU grad, and Jason is a K-State grad. So we've got your, your just, football yeah. covered here. And, and just a few years apart. Just a few years apart. Just a yeah. few, Jason. <laughs> uh, the, the, thinking of education, though, I'm, that that's higher education. Yes. Uh, we were going to talk about special education today. Special Otherwise education. known as SPED, because there's nothing in government that can't be improved without an acronym or a piece of jargon, right? 
You said it. Yeah. Uh, so public education in Kansas yes. has, I mean, has it always been political? I mean, it, it's one of the biggest pieces of the budget. So it, it of course is going to take a lot of time and effort and uh, thought from legislators. Well, well, what's been different in the last decade or so, maybe a little longer is the desire of conservative Republicans to promote school choice. Uh, now, that that's, desire has always been there to some degree, but it was, it, was a very, uh, it was very few Republican legislators favored that way back in the day. And that is sort of overlaid on the standard school funding debate, which is about money, of course. So you have uh, conservatives who are worried that the state isn't getting enough for its money, enough improvement in standardized test scores, enough kids being ready for college or the workforce. Um, and you have Democrats and less conservative Republicans worried about whether teachers are being paid enough, whether there's enough resources to do the things like improve test scores and, and close achievement gaps. And, of course, all of that's been subject to litigation. But those battles used to be urban, largely that, a partisan battle over the amount of money but also urban-rural splits over how the money was allocated. You know, Johnson County against everybody else uh, in terms of how much of a how much school districts had authority. School districts had to raise extra local property tax dollars. Uh, again, the the wonderful jargon, the local option budget that they called it. Um, and then various permutations of districts that would be helped or hurt, depending on how you tweak the formula that the state uses to distribute the money. And so we've got this overlay of, uh, of a pretty strong push amongst some conservative Republicans to expand the program of scholarships so that kids uh, who are not doing well in public schools can go to a private school, and then there's a push for education savings accounts, uh, you know, which would, in theory, give set up an account. The state would deposit the money per student in there, and then the student could, the student and parents could use it how they wanted, including private schools. Um, most uh, educators and Democrats see that as a voucher plan, although the supporters of it are are. Uh, avoid that terminology and say there's some practical differences. And thinking of that public school versus private school argument, uh, special education fits in as a public schools are required to provide it. Right, and, under federal law. And private schools aren't. Right. Um, and, and the interesting thing about the debate over spending on special education, in I think the early 70s, the federal government's stepped in and issued this mandate about um, schools having to have special education programs. You know, this was right at the start of the movement to, uh, this is probably not the proper word to use, but the word in those days was mainstream special education students um, so that they would be, they wouldn't be isolated and off. And, and you know, decades ago, 
kids with disabilities, for example, were just basically warehoused um, in in some cases. So this was an effort to get to make sure that that kids with disabilities would get good educations and you know leave into lead independent and 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 fulfilling lives and so the federal government mandated it and in true federal government fashion the mandate came with a promise of funds that the federal government did not fill that left a gap the state stepped in and said we're committed to i think the law says 92 percent of excess costs associated with special education programs and of course the the state is not hitting that number at all and i think it's down it's floating down below 70 percent now all right and we're in a situation where we have a republican-led u.s house of representatives uh, that has not shown a desire to increase government spending. Uh, they, well, they actually want to cut spending. And yet uh, here in Kansas, Kansas is not at that 92% threshold. And Republican legislators here have said, and, and Democratic legislators have said, we want the federal government to. Well, this, this has been a, I mean, this has been a persistent bipartisan problem. Whoever has co- controlled Congress or the White House, the, the, the money has just not come and you know probably some of that is concerns about if we make this if the federal government makes this commitment what other commitments will it be called on to make and what happens to the budget deficit so those questions are out there but the the state is on the hook and if the state has a gap in its funding then the argument from local school districts is they have to make up the difference they have to take money out of uh their other uh, out of their general fund to cover it. Right. I mean, and so par- part of that is why, uh, listening back to a committee hearing, uh, some of the Republican legislators were pointing out that special education is being funded, it's being provided yeah. by the schools. Uh, so, th- so in their minds, it was why are we fighting over special education funding in this way? Because it almost sounds like fear mongering that it's not being funded when in, in turn that it's not being provided when in fact the local school districts are providing special education funding. They just have to pull the money from elsewhere in their budgets. Exactly. And, and those school and school districts have gotten a big increase in their general fund budgets because of the school funding litigation. And so one of one of the arguments is that the state needs to first take a look at how it determines excess costs and whether it's using the right methodology and and whether in fact I, I think the chair of the House uh, K twelve Budget Committee, Christy Williams, has suggested that in fact the state may already be meeting its commitment. It's just, you know, it's just a matter of calculation. And, and then there, there were some audits. Were there not this past summer or spring that raised questions about in some places where the money was going? I believe so. Uh, now, why we are talking about it now is... Uh, so much drama over holding a meeting. Yes, I... So last session, 
amid debates over whether to increase funding for special education, how much to increase it, whether the law was structured the right way. Uh, didn't didn't the governor it, propose a five-year phase in? To she get did. To, I think it was adding $72 million each year for five years. So 72 that first year, then it would be that 72 plus another 72 the second. Right. It, eventually... I think eventually, up to like two hundred or three hundred some million dollars. Yeah, eventually, after five or six years, you'd be spending three hundred million dollars more a year. Almost, if memory serves, almost nine hundred million dollars a year. And uh, instead of putting more money into it, or instead of changing the law about how special education is funded, uh, legislators kind of punted on the issue and kicked the can down the road. Uh, whatever. They formed, yeah, yeah they, they formed a task force, and and in, in one sense, you know, uh, we can mock them for this is what they do when they when they don't, yeah, when they want to kick the can down the road. On the other hand, um, it might be a fairly complicated thing if you're going to look at how co- special education costs are the excess costs are calculated or, you know, all of that. It, it, it's not going to be probably a simple thing. I mean, the argument from school districts right now is that, yeah, actually it is a, a pretty simple thing. You've got a law that says 92%, and the state should be, in their minds, working toward that 92%. And having a task force, uh, I mean, the legislature decided to create a task force. Yeah. Uh, they put it into statute. They directed yes. this, the task force to meet and produce a report before and next And yet session. it has not met. Right. And that's not for a lack of trying by uh, school advocates and some of the members of the task force. Uh, but going into this past month, no there meeting had been had no been, meeting, yeah, and no meeting had been two scheduled. of the top Republicans on that task force indicated that they had no intention of ever meeting. And what 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 was what was the thinking there? The the thinking uh, from Senator uh, Renee Erickson and a Wichita Republican and Representative Christy Williams and Augusta right Republican uh, was that. Uh, the task force should look at more than just putting more money in. Sure. In their minds. But how do they, you start doing that if you don't meet? Well, the, did, the, did they, they want to leave it to the well, legislature? Well, they had gotten signals from at least some of the advocates of increased funding that the only thing they were prepared to talk about was increasing funding. Well, and, and, when, and, and that them, was a function of putting non-legislators on the task force, right? Yeah. Once you start putting educators on a task force and they have a they have a long I mean the idea that the state is not spending enough on special education that is a decades old idea. That is something they've been talking about I'm at least since I've been here. Uh, it, since the Jurassic Age basically. And, and so the thought was uh, from the senator and the representative was that, you know, 
if their only solution is to increase funding, we already know that's their solution. So we don't need to meet to have them tell us what they've already told us before and will continue to tell us. Uh, but that also means there's no meeting for anybody to discuss. Who, who under that law changes. creating the task force, who goes to jail if they don't meet? I'm, well, I'm being a little facetious because, of course, nobody goes to jail. There's no consequence if it never meets. Right, other I mean, than the, the, they were supp- supposed to produce a report and there isn't one on the shelf. Yeah, I mean, as far as the statutory language goes, it says shall plenty yes. of times like the committee well the task force shall do this yep, right right but, but what what if i mean nobody like i said nobody really gets punished if it doesn't happen right. but it, other than in i mean you know the the castigation of the general public or the educators or so and and i suppose it can become an issue at the at the ballot box and, uh, next year in elections but um and uh so the chair had signaled she had no intentions of ever calling a meeting. Well, and, and yes. what's interesting is is that the the task force was going to pick its own chair once it met. So neither Senator Erickson nor Representative Williams might lead this group. I mean, and so that was another, I mean, from what I was told, some of the speculation for why uh, Representative Williams might not have wanted to call the meeting and based on the law the House Speaker got to designate the person who would call the first meeting, and right. it was going to be Representative Williams. Because and, somebody has to be in charge, right? Uh, and the the speculation from some of the people I talked to was that Representative Williams did not have the votes to stay in power as chair of the committee. Of, of the Which task would force. then mean she'd have to turn over the, the power to set the agenda to somebody and, else. And then she'd have far less control over what goes into the report of recommendations to the legislature. So if she doesn't want a report that recommends increasing funding, especially increasing funding without changing any of the statutory language and formula, then uh, she wouldn't want – not calling a meeting is the best way to guarantee you don't get a report. Well, and 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 recall what the 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 broader context here is that the state is still, for now, enmeshed in this school funding lawsuit that was filed in 2010, and the four school districts that are the plaintiffs in that case have pretty much won everything, lock, stock, and barrel. And in 2019, I think, if I'm remembering, 2018, 2019, they, they were, the legislature was finally forced into a five-year plan. They fulfilled the obligations under that plan, but it is still before the Kansas Supreme Court technically in the remedy phase, which means if the school districts don't like what they see from the legislature, they just go to the Kansas Supreme Court and tell them to bring the hammer down. And as opposed to having to refile and go through two or three years of litigation. And so what you, if you're a legislator or the state, what you don't want out there is a report that says essentially you should be spending $300 million more a year to fulfill your obligations. 
And John, you had a piece uh, a month or two ago on the attorney general trying to get the Supreme Court to close yes. that case. The, the attorney general's argument is that the state has met its obligations. Therefore, the litigation, you know, litigation has to end at some point. The, the Supreme Court uh, it, it can't hang on to this forever, he argues, and that, you know, the legislature has acted. It's done what you wanted. It's time to close the case. And of course, the plaintiff school districts responded with the legislature has shown in their minds a a, 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 a historic tendency to, as soon as the lawsuit is closed, to backtrack on its its promises. I mean, certainly the state did that after the previous school finance lawsuit was closed, I think, in 2006. And of of course, what happened in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, the Great Recession, and so that's when funding, you know, didn't didn't progress the way it in theory was supposed to. And so, how we go from not having a task force meeting to now having a task force meeting? There scheduled. was a, there was a little revolt, wasn't yeah, there? So. Uh, I, I, I don't know if her name is out there or not, so I won't say it, but a certain Johnson County person with connections to public education and a legal background, uh, I, I guess she did some reading of... Yeah, there was a lot of discussion of uh, Mason's rules, rules of orders. They, yeah. they don't use Roberts in the legislature. They use Mason's because... Uh, Roberts, I guess, is more for garden clubs and civic organizations, and Masons is more uh, adapted to legislature. I think Roberts might have been what was used when I was in 4-H, and I think that's what my wife well, used Well, they used to use Roberts, yeah. And uh, I think student government at K-State might have used Roberts. Yeah. Uh, but, so... You can do more sophistic, sophisticated things with uh, Masons, apparently. It, it makes things, I'm not going to say smoother, because, you know, we are talking about the legislature. But it, it does, it does, all the things legislators want to do procedurally, Masons appears to be better for that. I can't tell you how, but. And so she did some reading up on these rules yes. and found a provision that, Basically said, if the chair refuses or is unavailable to call a meeting, then a majority of the members may call a meeting. Uh And there are 11 people on this task force, and six of them signed on to calling a meeting. I don't know if they stopped at the point that they got to six, or if they asked everybody to sign on. And six were willing. And... Uh, not everybody on this task force, as you said, is a legislator. Uh, I mean, there's only one Democratic legislator on there. Yes. Uh, and I think maybe three or four Republicans, uh, Republican legislators, and then various people who work in special education or in education more generally. Yes. Uh, they signed on to call a meeting for this past Thursday. Uh, I think we got the meeting notice – it might have been a Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, and by that afternoon, uh, we got another notice that apparently Representative Williams had decided to call a meeting. For herself. January 5th, right? Right. And that's the week before the legislature. It, that's like the Thursday before the legislature convenes, right? Yeah. And 
as far as the statute goes, I think it's January 14th that they have to have the report done. So uh, they got I, I, I do not then, envy the legislative staff that have to write yeah, a report that on an all-day meeting right before the start of session. Yeah, that's, that's going to be uh, a lot of work. Yeah. Unless they don't have any recommendations, then it can be a short report. We heard some testimony. Here's the testimony. We don't have any recommendations yet. And so getting a committee meeting scheduled uh, would not normally seem to be such a difficult thing to do. No. And such a big win for one side. Well, and again, it's the result of the key legislators being skeptical of the ongoing argument that the state just needs to put a lot more money into special education, which is the educator's point. And, and so obviously they were reluctant to set up meetings where that would be the only point discussed, which, I mean, raises the question of the utility of having a task force in the first place. I mean, the utility of it is is that people who are involved in education and work with special education students get a chance to serve and, and mold whatever product comes out, aside from just getting up and testifying. Of course, ultimately, whatever they would come up with, the legislature would have to review and push and do anyway. So, you know, why why the legislature went this out route as opposed to a study committee over the summer and fall? Well, well, I think the ironic thing is, wasn't it Representative Williams who was the biggest supporter of creating the task force? Well, but uh, I mean, obviously, she wanted to discuss ish- different issues. Um, you know, I, it sounds like she wanted to get into how these costs are calculated, you know, where the money is going. Is there another way to do this that would be more efficient? I mean, I, I did ask, you know, the general question of why this is just isn't awaiting in the school funding formula. Um, you know, why is, why is special education funding off to the side? Um, and the answer seemed to be that it is hard to calculate as an average because special education covers a lot of ground. It even is broad enough to cover programs for gifted kids. Um, you know, for example, my daughter, when she was in elementary, middle school, and high school, she had an, an IEP, an individual education plan, um, because she was a gifted kid. Um, so, you know, and these plans are supposed to set out what the school is going to do to help your child learn as much as possible. And they're, you know, their parents meet with school officials at least once a year to discuss it, uh, maybe often more. And so, uh, you know, the question is, is, you know, so the question there is the answer I seem to get was that it would just be difficult to account for that wide range of costs. And of course, if a district, say Wichita, this was an issue in Wichita, 
where a, a district like that, because it has more teachers, more resources, um, just in the aggregate, you tend to attract students with special needs because the thought is, is that the Wichita district is better able to handle them, to, to help them out. I mean, there are service, there, there's more likely to be, for example, service providers and professionals and, and personnel in the Wichita area than perhaps in a small town in rural Kansas. And John, I think today we uh, discussed several of the education issues that we can expect to be brought up when the legislature returns in January. Yes. Special education, uh, funding in general, uh, uh, school choice. School choice. That will definitely be. We will probably, it would be a shock if we didn't have a discussion of what's roughly known as parental rights, making it easier for parents to protest, to know, first know about and protest materials in classrooms and libraries. And one that I'm interested in watching for is if there will be another push for a private school modifier for athletics. I know we, uh, I, I think this weekend is high school football championship weekend. And uh, th those usually bring about discussions on private school modifiers. Well, explain that. Uh, I mean, so the thought is that private schools have certain advantages and among those, the ability to control, uh, who's control in their enrollment, student body, yeah. uh, which enrollment go is right now. Enrollment is the only, uh, only criteria for classification. And the thought from particularly the smaller public schools and by smaller, I mean everything smaller than the biggest ones, the 6A schools. Uh, they want a modifier that could result in private schools being moved up and competing against basically, bigger public schools. Basically a, a, a penalty for being a private school. You have to play up a class or two because in theory, I guess the argument is you can recruit good athletes. And the uh, Keisha, the Kansas High School Activities Association, and the State Board of Education have tried to ask the legislature to give them permission to change the classification. Uh, I think they need three words. Uh, I, th I think the three words are and other means or and other factors or uh, – and other criteria, some, something like that. And they just need that added to the statute to give and, and I suppose permission to change it. And private school folks don't like that idea at the, all. They don't. And there was a hearing last year, but the bill didn't move forward. Uh, my understanding was that uh, the leadership of the committee and the leadership of the House uh, were not prioritizing that because of other education-related stuff, especially the school choice bill. Uh, so I'll be curious to see if that comes around. I, because I, I think, uh, well, I, I, you know, obviously one, they spent a lot of time focusing on whether uh, transgender girls could play on girls and women's sports teams. So maybe that got a little lost in the shuffle there. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, Thinking of 
postseason play. Uh, if there are any listeners out there who know of any local broadcasters who have had experience with the new postseason uh, rule where the regarding the uh, exclusivity of broadcasting postseason games. I think our high school sports reporter might be interested in talking. Okay, to so, so if you if me. you know about that, reach out. To yeah, the, 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 that Capital that, Journal's uh, high school sports person. Yeah, that that was a bill that made it through last session, uh, but I've heard that it might not be getting applied the way it was intended. Imagine that. That occasionally happens with legislation. You pass it; the words are in the text. And it does not get applied as you thought. And then it's three times as hard to go back and try to do what you thought you were doing. Uh, based off the email I got, I I think the confusing, the, the, the biggest point of contention was uh, the statute says there can be like a reasonable compensation, but it says there cannot be a fee. <laughs> and they are being charged $200. And so is $200 the reasonable compensation, or is it a fee? And <laughs> I, I don't know. And 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 obviously nobody wants to say that it ex- it's exactly both at the same time, right? Because of course it's a fee. It's something you have to pay to be able to do something. Is it reasonable compensation? Who knows? Does it cover the costs of of the setup for the, the whatever you need to broadcast the game uh that i mean you know yeah. okay i i you know uh i guess you could call it a something else you could call it a snarf blat would that work if that's a reference to something i don't know what it is uh it's a reference to the little mermaid cartoon uh, maybe that's not the the correct word, but it's when Ariel and uh, this I think it's a seagull are going over human artifacts, and they are hilariously off about what these so, human so, so artifacts are about. The, is it the lead into the song? The like, look at this. Thing? I think so. Yes, part of your world. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. One of the great Disney, modern Disney songs, part of your world. Well, uh, if you want to listen to us talk about if you want to be part, yes, yes, if you want to be part of our world, then you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Play, and wherever other fine podcasts are are found. But ours, of course, is the finest, right? Yes, yes, because we're, we're award winning. At least the finest Did, in Kansas. Yes, yes, we're uh, award winning. Yeah, from the Kansas Press Association, the inaugural podcast award. Last yes, year. yes. Uh, and John, if they would like, if our listeners, our dear listeners would like to read your work where they can find, where can they find that? Well, www.apnews.com backslash author. And then John, J O H N hyphen Hannah, H A N N A. I'm on X formerly known as Twitter at, at a P J D Hannah. That's J and then D is in David. And Jason, what about you? I am on X at Jason underscore Alatid, and I am 
You can read more of my work at cjonline.com. And of course, we would remind you that at CJ Online or other places fine podcasts are found, there are 90 back episodes. This is episode 91, I think. And you want to go back and listen to them because they're raucously entertaining. And I would appreciate you listening back to them because I don't like to listen back to my voice. So that's one fewer listen. Yes, yes. But, but John, you listen back to all of them. Yes, I do. Um, I don't necessarily like the sound of my voice, but um, I do listen to them uh, just because I'm, just because I do. Um, and if people want to watch us and not just listen to us, they can go watch the press conference on the consensus revenue estimates from this past week because we both appeared on yes, the YouTube. And we and they made us identify ourselves, even though I noted somewhat grumpily that they knew who I was, that at least the people in the room did. I haven't watched I haven't looked to see how many people watched on YouTube. My guess is probably two hundred and they might not have known who you were. That's true. That's true. Well, thank you for listening and enjoy the week. Yes. And at some point in the near future, we'll be back with episode 92. And go cats. (laughs) Go Jayhawks. going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.